This is what I mean. What on earth's wrong with you? Man or boy? Boy or man? When we leave Winter Hill, we are going to more places than you ever thought about. Or even you existed. Just where we'll go first, I don't know. And it don't matter. Because after we go to that place, we're going on to another. Alaska, China, Iceland, South America. Traveling on trains. Running rip on motorcycles. Flying all over the world in airplanes. Here today and gone tomorrow. All over the world. It's the whole truth. Boy, oh, man. And talking of things happening. Things are happening so fast, we don't hardly have time to realize them. Captain Jarvis Adams wins highest medals and is decorated by the president. Miss F. Jasmine Adams breaks all records. Mrs. Janice Adams elected Miss United Nations in beauty contest. One thing after another, happening so fast, we don't hardly realize it. Oh, and so many them, everybody. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined once again by Ronaldo Sosa to discuss Julie Harris's Oscar-nominated performance in the 1952 film The Member of the Wedding. Ronaldo, good to have you back on the show. And it's good to be back. It's always fun. Thank you. You're yeah. one of my favorite podcast to guest on. Well, I I, I appreciate that. Um, I was trying to remember earlier uh, today whether or not you've done all four acting categories. I did not, and like this is something that was last minute. And yes. I, yeah. I was thinking of maybe choosing a best actor nominee just to finish out all four categories, but we'll like, get you we next already, time. Yeah, we already have something planned for a best actor nominee that will come yeah. later. So I kind of wanted that to be the first. Yes. Yeah. So we um yeah, like you said, this was sort of a last minute uh and a friend who had a reschedule. Hopefully we're gonna be doing that in a few weeks because I already watched the movie uh and took my notes on it for that one. So hopefully I'll get to that soon enough. But yeah, thank you again for popping in with this replacement. And tell me about why you did pick this one out of all of the ones that there are. Why this one? Well, all of the movies that we've done before are movies that I either really like the movie or I really like the performance. And this is neither of those things. And um, I also wanted to have an opportunity to talk about Ethel Waters. Yeah. (laughs) Not to spoil anything, but just the only thing worth watching about this movie. Kind of by and, a long shot, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, it was I thought it would be interesting to think to talk about something that I don't like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've had you know plenty of the recurring guests so far have talked about something weird or bad at some point. So glad to welcome welcome you into the club with that because this is a weird one. This is a this is a, a very strange like not not really in terms of form like we're coming off of i just did charlie last week and that's a a different kind of weird this is just like we'll, we'll get into it we'll get into it so we're talking about the member of the wedding from 1952 directed by fred zinnemann of all people which is wild uh well, the ri- same year that i i i put that together literally just now this is the holy shit this is the same year as high noon what what <laughs> i also didn't notice that i was like reading reviews of the movie after or That's like crazy. things talking about the movie and i saw something like oh he recorded this like months after finishing high noon That's I like, crazy i mean it's it's a small scale movie they're probably about the same runtime too but like god that i think this one's longer <laughs> i mean probably high noon is like like a, like very short minutes. yeah and like this is not a long movie either. Uh, it was written by Edna and Edward Anhalt, based on the 1946 novel by Carson McCullers, and also the 1950 play, uh, which featured uh, some of these main actors here. Uh, the movie stars Ethel Waters, Julie Harris, Brandon DeWilde in his uh, Harris and DeWilde in their screen debuts. Uh, Arthur Franz, Nancy Gates, William Hansen, James Edwards, Harry Bolden, and Dickie Moore. But it's mostly just those main three. Uh, it opened in Los Angeles on December 25th, 1952. Go take the family on Christmas to see this bratty kid that nobody likes, uh, and with good reason. Uh, and then opened in New York on the 30th, uh, and that's about as much as I saw as far as release dates in the U.S., so maybe it only played those two. That would be weird if it was the case, but you never know. But 
Yeah, that's the movie we're talking about. It's the member of the wedding. And let's talk about that titular member of the wedding, or so she would like to be, Julie Harris in this movie. Huh? (laughs) That was my exact reaction of the first time I saw it. I was like, what the hell is she doing? What? I mean, like... (laughs) Right off the bat, so I uh, we're recording this after I had already posted to the Twitter, like, hey, I'm doing this movie this week. Um, a lot of reactions to that news, a lot of reactions across the board. Some people saying it's their worst Best Actress nominee of all time. Some people loving it. Some people in the middle. Um, she's really going for it. The one thing you can't deny is she is, capital G, going for it in this movie. Yeah, she is not giving us nothing. <laughs> yeah, she's giving us a whole lot of this. And whether that okay. works or not, I don't know if I yeah. have the answer. I watched this movie last night and this morning because I fell asleep. Um, not because I, it's a boring <laughs> movie, but because it was like three in the morning. Um, but So I've had time to sit on this. I've had time to sit and think. Uh, on this movie and in the meantime i like watched the prestige in a theater and i'm still like i just got home from that so i'm big ball of energy because that movie fucking rocks um like i've had time to sit on this performance and i don't know what to think about it because like at the end of the day she's playing a bratty character that everyone around her kind of hates yeah and And so it, it works it works that we don't like watching her at the very least it fits what the character like it's she's she's delivering effectively what the character is supposed to be but huh (laughs) yeah so something that we haven't mentioned is that julie harris was 27 years old when she made this movie. She's playing a 12-year-old. She is. I am... Um... And... Oh, no, Yeah, so, like, when I first... I first watched this movie when I was, like, going through all of the nominees, which I still haven't watched all of them, but when I got to that year, which was, like, maybe two years ago, I saw it, and I felt exactly the same way that you do. And, like, I've had years to, like, think about it. And, like, at the time, I maybe would have agreed that she was, like, one of the worst nominees I've ever seen. Uh, but after that, like, uh, you know that Fritz makes videos yes. about nominees. And he made a video about this year. And he feels a lot more fondly about this performance than I did. And he was also talking about, like, giving context to the fact that, yes, she was she played this character, she originated the character in the play, in Broadway, and it was, like, a huge thing yeah. on, on Broadway, and, like, it made her a star, and she was, kind of like, a big deal in theater. And, and she, won, and like, she already, like, at this point, or something. she had already won one of them for uh, playing Sally Bowles in, um, what's the name of the play that would later become Cabaret? Um, uh, I, I, I Am a Camera. She won oh, her yes. first Tony Award in 1951, so fully before this movie has happened, she is already a Tony winner, which is kind of crazy. Um, I should also mention, uh, because you mentioned him, Fritz, who was on my episode for The Star, also talking about this Best Actress lineup uh, way well, back did... when. So you didn't watch this when you did <laughs> I did not. No, I I, I knew it was I'm one glad. I'd be doing, and I saved it. Yeah, I'm it, glad and... you didn't. Yeah, wouldn't that be the joke of all time if I had watched it then and had to wait all this time? Um, but man, yeah, okay. So you 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 did, you know, yeah, mention the elephant so... in the room. She's twenty seven. Uh, I wrote down a list of other actresses that are twenty seven right now. I want to. I want you to pick one of them, uh, to play this role in the remake that we're casting. Uh, as Frankie Adams, is that the character's name that I just read on Wikipedia? Yeah. Did I get that right? Okay. As I Frankie think your Adams. actual name is Frank Francis, and yeah. Frankie is like her next name. Yes. Okay, so which of these actresses, who are 27 currently at the time of recording, are you casting in this role? Are you casting Zendaya, Florence Pugh, Anya Taylor-Joy, Sophie Turner, Emma Corrin, Emma Mackey, or Abigail Breslin? In terms of who I think could maybe pull it off the best, I would say 
Zendaya and just like for the sole reason that she has a baby voice <laughs> so she could maybe be believable as like a child yeah but um, as we've all seen Florence Pugh yeah. doesn't really pull off playing 12 no <laughs> uh, little women for example um yeah it's just wild to put that in the context of like these are the 27 year old actresses that we have right now imagine any of them taking on this role and and trying to be believable very strange uh yeah so like i said i hadn't seen it all this time i had wanted to see it again just because like i said fred kind of liked her and uh, i wanted to see if i found something and i will say that i am a bit more I feel a bit better about her performance now. Like, I think that there are some good moments, but she's still, like, it's way too much. It's like, too especially much. Especially when you see her in the same frame with Ethel Waters, who's doing a completely different thing. Like, they're two completely different movies. Or even Brandon DeWilde, because <laughs> yeah. he's, like, he's, like, nine years old, and he's playing a nine-year-old, and he's, like, you know a great child actor like famously one of the the more respected child actors in the annals of hollywood history and to see him here just being like yeah i'm a kid playing a kid i don't know what this lady's doing uh but i'm just gonna you know sit here and be what i need to be and then also yeah ethel waters who's great uh just being like what are you doing julie harris <laughs> Yeah, um, like, you see, like, this is something that's more, like, in character, how there are moments when she looks at Frankie, and she's like, what the hell are you doing? And it's, like, almost it, meta, like, seeing her. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, I said the same thing a few weeks ago when we did I Am Sam, of, like, Dakota Fanning looking at uh, Sean Penn with the pity of, like, dude, come on. Like, there, there's scenes... In that movie and in this movie, that it's it feels like the act the other actors being like, What what are you doing? She's yelling so much in this, which can work in some theater adaptations. Like Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf is a very yelly play because everyone's yelling in that. And like the that movie like builds up the tension of these people in this room yelling at each other because they're yelling at each other. And this movie is two people watching this child adult yell at kind of everything. Yeah, and then just kind of rolling their eyes or ignoring her. Something else on that that's like semi-related is um, I had to keep double-checking to make sure I hadn't read it wrong that Julie Harris is American. Because so much... Yeah, she was born in Michigan. She was born in Gross Point, Michigan. Um, and like her parents were American. She was raised in America as far as I could tell. Uh, because so much of her like vocal inflection in this movie reads like a British actress struggling to do a flat American accent. Like one of the ones I wrote down phonetically is there's a point where she just goes, What happened? What happened? Like, she, she just, all of her vowel sounds in this are so, like, like she's struggling to hide a British accent, which is wild because she's American. It really feels like some of these line readings are, and I don't know if that's her trying to do an affectation of, like, a kid voice or, like, or, like, whatever part of the country this is supposed to be in. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a southern thing. Yeah, but it it doesn't read as southern either. It doesn't track as like she's just doing like a kind. It's just doing like a kind of transatlantic accent, but like also not really transatlantic, cause... but like by way of kid. Yeah. It's very strange, especially because she's so loud and yelling all the time, and so like like she's such a petulant little brat of a character that has a lot of things to say and none of them are interesting, but she thinks they are. And also, like, she's so de- she's so delusional as a character. Which, again, that's not the fault of Julie Harris. That's just how the character's written, and she does a good job of making you believe 
that this character truly believes the wild shit she's saying and like the delusions that she's putting herself into she does a good job with that of making this character feel real it's just almost like a step too real of like oh god why why should i care ultimately i don't have any sympathy for this kid who's so annoying to everyone and then just sort of nothing happens to her except her cousin dies off screen and the thing that i was thinking this time is like the thing that that i that made me think of that the most was that whole speech that she has about how everyone is like part of a group and they have a we and saying like who's the we for uh for the waters and it's like the church and other colored people and uh, and other fat people she says (laughs) and then she's like oh the we for me is my brother and is it her it's her brother yeah i think yeah it's her brother it's her and brother his and his fiance. fiance like the, them are the we of me it's like, what the god me? them are the we of me good lord <laughs> what a picture what a picture parentheses derogatory and like this watch made me curious of reading the novel or the play which was also written by uh by whatever carson, her name is i forget carson carson Mac- mccullers McCullers, yeah. That's she, a good name. So, yeah, that's yeah, a good she, name right there. Carson McCullers. She wrote the novel and she also adapted the adapted it into the play. I wish she can have written the movie because I think that there are things like a little subtext that I picked up on like because uh, I also did some research about her because I picked up like some gay things in this movie. Like how uh, Brandon the Wild's character, he's always like playing with dolls, and like at yeah. some point he puts on a dress, and he's like always playing with her, and, and she's a girl, and like her being kind of a tomboy or something, and to see if maybe, it... and yes, apparently like uh, Carson McCullers was also a tomboy growing up, so maybe this was like kind of a self, um, yeah, like a like self-written, a... yeah, she was writing yeah. about herself in some way, like that character was based on her and like maybe the struggles of her growing up being different from other people and uh, after doing my research on her i saw that she was married to a man but i think that they were both like she was a lesbian and he was gay and like he ended up killing himself oh no (laughs) and like at some point he uh convinced her to for them both to kill it to kill themselves together and then she kind of uh backed out she yeah, she packed out, and then he oh, killed no. himself. Oh, God. And that was after they had divorced, and they got, then got back together. And when they were divorced, he, like, started with some man, and she was, like, obsessed with this woman, but, like, she wasn't into her, so she had, like, a little woman that she was into, but she was never able to have, like, a, con- uh, a reciprocal relationship with a woman. And so she was, like, a lesbian who never got to act on it. Yeah, and that... she was like friends with a lot of gay people. Like all of her friends were gay. She was like yeah. Truman Capote and Tennessee Williams and a lot of people. And apparently, like John Henry, the her cousin, was based on Truman Capote. That's wild because I was like, this character is like it feels like both of these two, these two kids, are kind of like a proto Scout and Dill from To Kill a Mockingbird. And Dill in To Kill a Mockingbird is also based on Truman Capote because he was uh, uh, Harper Lee's cousin. Yeah. That's crazy. That's hilarious. Yeah. That, that there's two different, like, literary little gay Truman Capote boys <laughs> that are friends of tomboys. That's, that's great. So yeah, as you notice, I'm talking a lot about other things because I don't really have much to say about Julie. Yeah, like what? Uh, I mean, what else do I have? Her voice is so nasally and stilted. She's supposed to be pretentious and bratty, but still, uh, I wrote down what happened. I already <laughs> said that. Yeah, um, and like you can tell how this maybe could have worked in a theater on the stage. Yes. Yeah, on the stage. I'm sure this could she work. was very good on the stage. Again, famously multi, like she won five Tonys out of 10 nominations and got like a Lifetime Achievement Award and the National Medal of Honor for arts or whatever. And yeah, it was I'm like, I'm not going to say that 
that she was like young because she was like almost 30 when she did this but yeah. it was her first movie yes. and maybe she just didn't get the direction that she needed she wasn't told to dial it back because like her like since she the play was so su- successful her performance was so acclaimed like maybe Fred Cinnamon just didn't want to say like oh she, he just let her do whatever she wanted yeah I, I would imagine there's she had a lot of rope to hang herself with in this as as far as like going really all in on this performance because like she's the centerpiece of the movie she has to be big and brash for this character to work for what she is because the character has to be very annoying like as, as written uh and this level of being big works for being very annoying on the stage but when you're confined to this little tiny shack uh, with with and all these close ups, it just doesn't work. It just fundamental. I mean, parts of it work. Again, she's very successful in pulling off. She's all. She's too successful in pulling off <laughs> the character being annoying to the point that like it's turning you off of the movie at large, which can be a delicate balance for a character that's written to be annoying. And I think she just goes too far too often. And there's points that work. The The scene where she, I'm going to keep, I, I almost called him Dill. His name's John Henry. Uh, when she goes to John Henry's house in the middle of the night and it's like, hey, come down here. Let's hang out. And he goes, no, I don't want to. And she goes, well, that's all right. I only asked you because you look so ugly and so lonesome. And she's like being a brat that like isn't getting her way and is immediately sour grapes thing. And I was like, yeah, fuck you too, kid. I thought that worked. I thought that was funny. Because she's not yelling, for one. And because she's, like... She's doing a very good, realistic job of being that sort of brat that changes with the tides and is always like, oh, well, I'm right about everything. And you adults don't... Nobody gets me. She does a good job with those parts. It's just that sometimes they go so far to the other end of of that that it's just so hard to watch. She's not terrible. I think she's fine at some points and so annoying at other po- points that it sort of counterbalances the good parts. And those yeah. are, the good parts are, aren't the memorable parts. I, I yeah, think that's where I come Because down. the thing is that her being annoying, yes, it's part of the character, but I think it goes like so over the top that it kind of. Ma- kind of makes you not care about the moments that are supposed to be emotional like in the big uh, like at the wedding when she has that big tantrum in the car when god it is very take me me. (laughs) also you did a thing just there that like uh reminded me of something else that she does linguistically that's like probably on the page it's probably not something that was a choice by julie harris but, like, I noticed at a certain point that she never uses contractions. She's always like, oh, well, I think that it is a very good idea. Or I think that you are, like, she never says it's or your or, like, just, I mean, it just layers in with, like, oh, this kid is so pretentious and so thinks she's, like, heightened to the point that, like, she's calling herself F. Jasmine Adams, and you Jasmine. will you will refer to me as F. Jasmine Adams, like I'm F. Scott Fitzgerald, and I'm very I'm a little lady, and I'm going to travel the world to places you've never even heard of, and I'm going to be like the third wheel to this newlywed couple because I uh, have a lot of complicated adolescent feelings about maybe my brother and maybe his wife as well, and who knows? And it's and there's like undertones of incestuous sort of like longing that are weird and I wonder yeah like how many times does she say in the movie like they're the two most beautiful people I have ever seen it's <laughs> weird the man two most beautiful people I ever saw like it's, they're so beautiful <laughs> it's it's wild it's a wild movie uh, also like if you're saying that like if that that's the line that you have in the movie that she says several times like you cast like that man who is that man? Like, cast someone who I grabs straight your up attention. Didn't even, I didn't even, like, just so white bread in one ear out the other. That's a guy I've seen, maybe. 
I wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup and I watched the movie not even 24 hours ago. Yeah, like if you're going to make her be so infatuated with this couple, at least cast, like they're not even going to have to act. Like just grab people off the street who are good looking. Truly, truly. Is there anything else we have to say about Julie Harris specifically? Um, well, about her specifically, I will say, well, something else, well, another criticism is that I think that she's not actually listening to anyone else she's just like screaming and like when other people are acting she doesn't really pay attention to them like she's just on her in her own mind and like maybe that's part of the character because she's also not listening to people (laughs) yeah that's like a sort of is that a character choice or an actor choice who knows yeah but um so yeah it's a very odd performance and i will compare it to something else i don't know I think you will have to cover this movie, uh, and I don't think you've done it because nobody is going to pick that. <laughs> but this reminds me of Joan Fontaine in The Constant Nymph. It's a very similar thing when she's like oh an adult playing a child. But oh, I think no. she's older in that. She's like 13 or 14 or something. And she's not yelling as much because it's supposed okay. to be like she's in love with some guy or something i don't know but Probably. I, that's another performance that i don't like at all and i don't like john fontaine in general so fair enough um so yeah i was thinking a lot of that when i was seeing this watching yeah this. uh i was gonna mention i think i've only ever seen one other movie that she's in unless yeah, oh uh East of ha- Eden, she's in that she's i the... haven't seen that yet i haven't seen gorillas in the mist i haven't seen voyage of the damned uh, I haven't seen the 1964 Hamlet, but I have yeah. seen The Haunting, and she's yeah, and really good in The Haunting. She's so good in The Haunting. Like that's an all-time great horror performance. Uh, and she learned a lot in, uh, about film acting in the 11 years in between then. So good for her. Good for yeah, you. Yeah, and even later, like Istvan was only three years later, and she's so much better in that. Glad to like, hear I- that. Again, I think she was maybe just the combination of it being the, her first her first time in a movie and being like in a role that she originated. So maybe she thought that she knew exactly what she was doing, and also and a role that corrected her. a role that she played like what five hundred performances on stage. So like she had that particular version of that performance like ingrained into her of like which like. Ethel Waters did too, and like yeah, in the wild, they were both in the play. They were. It's I. It's just a matter of those characters are not written to be big, and this character is written to be big. And theater big and movie big are very different. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I have nothing else more to say about her wild performance. Glad I've done it. Glad like th- this certainly wasn't a snooze of a performance. Um. <laughs> I, I was engaged. It had me for most of it. Uh, so, you know, you got me to watch your movie, Julie Harris. Good for you. Uh, let's move on and talk about the rest of the movie. You mean right here in the corner of your eye, you suddenly catch something. A shiver runs through you. You whirl around, stand there facing you don't know what. But not Ludie. Not who you want. And for a minute, you feel like you've been dropped down a well. Yes, that's it. It's mighty remarkable. It's a thing been happening to me all my life. Yet just now, it's the first time I ever heard it put into words. Yes, that's the way it is when you're in love. Ethel Waters is fantastic in this. She's so good. Like she was the reason why I wanted to want to do it. I figured. I figured that was why. And like again, she originated the role as well, but she also had film experience before, and she had been. She was already an Oscar nominee by now for Pinky, which she should have won. And I still need to see that. Yeah, like the movie isn't great, but she's incredible. Like just like this one. Yeah, but. Yeah, like, she's so good. And, like, there's that scene where she's talking about her husband and when he died. And it's just, like, a close-up of her face and her looking up and the tears coming down her face. And it's just, like, I had to repeat that scene. Yeah. Yeah, she's incredible. Fred Zinneman really knows how to shoot a good close-up. Like, 
the the close-ups especially of her in this movie look so good but yeah she's she's just i mean acting circles around this child actor and this very big performance playing a kid that's like we've been saying a, a confounding performance but she is just like from the first moment she's on screen one she's cool as hell because she's got an eye patch so that's already check marks for me of like ooh, an eye patch uh but yeah it's just an incredible performance from her that like i don't know i i don't want to say too much about it because i would recommend people go out and watch this movie just for her if you can stomach the julie harris of it all it's only like a 95 minute movie it's on youtube in hd looks pretty good for it uh for being on youtube and her performance is so incredible and so worth watching that i would uh, like i i forgive the rest of the movie for being what it is because of her yeah and uh, pay more attention to her this time that i watched it it made me appreciate the movie or not, not so much the movie itself but like the play and what the novel maybe was and maybe was cut because i see that there's like a lot of things about race in the in the movie that are were maybe cut because of censorship but there are like little moments that kind of i don't know because i don't know the exact context of like this era in america but there's like this scene when uh julie harris is talking about something that her brother said and she said like oh like i, I wouldn't have voted for this guy it was like cj something or jc something and like uh, ethel waters is just like looking at her and then like she, when she says that name she just stops everything that she's doing and she looks at her and i was trying to look up the name but i couldn't find anything so uh there was things like that and like the moment when like Joy Harris pulls out a knife out of nowhere. She's oh, like yeah. so bizarre, and like the way that she completely stops everything, and she's like, "Drop that knife!" The and knife she's that like, oh. she's using to pick a splinter out of her toe <laughs> yeah. and scratch the side of her head—like <laughs> crazy. I I forgot about that, but good God, what a what a moment! Um, and then she just throws it. She throws it and gets it stuck in the door. Yeah, but crazy like, fucking kid. There are so many moments like that, like that's the difference for her like she really is paying attention to everything that is going on around her and she, like she, you can tell that she's very familiar with the space of like this area like she's always moving or doing something and she's like always acting and reacting to everything around her like her, like every time that she's just talking and starts laughing and it sounds so natural yeah like, when she starts chuckling to herself like talking to the kids and like you can see that they've like been around each other for so long because she feel, it feels like everyone's really comfortable around each other. Maybe not Julie Harris, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just like such a natural performance, and it's like even instant out even more when you see what she's against. It also stands out even more when you like really think about the context for this is 1952, and this character is a black woman. That has a life and an agency aside from working for this white family and looking after these white kids. Like th this, the script and the movie like stops to really consider like her dead husbands and her relationships and her wants and her needs and her current relationship. And like in 1952, having a character like this that is not a stereotype and not reduced to her role and is not there to just like impart wisdom on these white children as they grow up and come of age like real respect to that for for you know presenting this character with much more agency than i expected going into it for the era yeah and that's the thing that carson mccullers was like known for i guess at that time because uh in the book, it was like a big, uh, a bigger part of the plot, like even more than it is in the movie, that there were more things involved in like her brother, because they thought while well, watching the movie that that was her son, but it's actually oh, that's her, her brother. I totally, <laughs> I totally missed that. Whoops. No, I missed that too. It was just like later reading that I saw that he was supposed to be her brother. And like the other guy there was her boyfriend. And I also missed that. Yeah. But yeah, like there were more things invo involving them, and there was like more like direct 
talk about the race. And there's a moment when the N word is said in the play that is obviously not in the movie. Yeah. And like, there's a moment when her, when Frankie's dad says that to her brother. And then she like tells her brother, like, she just ignores it. And instead of being mad at her dad, at the dad, she's just like, oh, like you called it, like you. Brought it, you brought it on yourself. Like she's not better than to talk to him like that. And yeah, like, there is a lot of interesting. Like she's written in a very complex way, which is not the case for most black characters at the time. And again, it, this was something that uh, Carissa McCullers had done in her other books as well, because she also wrote the uh, the the hardest lonely hunter, which was her first book, and. I also have not seen that movie, but I haven't uh, either. Which one is? I know that Cecily Tyson is in that, and she's right. supposed to be really good. And that was like the or Alan Arkin movie in '68. I think. Right? Yeah, that's that's why that name is so familiar. Because again, I just did Charlie, and he was <laughs> for that. Um, that's that's why I was like, oh, I've I've thought about that title a lot recently. Why? It was because of that. Um, so yeah, I'm like interested in getting more into her work in general, yeah. and maybe not watching this movie, but like actually reading the books that she wrote. Yeah. Um, also, just uh, mentioning Carson McCullers in referenced, uh, going back to what you were saying earlier about her and her personal life, uh, Ethel Waters also uh, bisexual, queer in some way, not you know labeled in her time, but she was married to like three different men in her lifetime, and throughout the twenties, like lived in a sort of unspoken civil par- partnership with uh, a dancer also named Ethel. Um, what was... Uh, let me look that up again. Um, but she was like sort of like as open as you could be in the 1920s. Like everyone knew uh, uh, basically all of her friends and, and people she worked with uh, knew that she was, you know, in this lesbian relationship. Ethel Williams was the... Uh, uh, was her her partner during the 1920s they lived together in harlem uh so good for them good for her so she uh back in like what 1949 is when she gets nominated for pinky yeah it is you know the first along with ethel barrymore <laughs> yes another ethel so many ethels um but yeah j- just like sort of interesting to think about you know hollywood history in the ways that you know like closeted hollywood history 1949 you had a a queer black woman nominated for an Oscar. Who knew? And she should have had... I haven't seen Cabin in the Sky, but I've also heard that she's incredible in that movie. I mean, and... based on just having seen her in this, I would imagine she's incredible in a lot of things, because what a performance here. Yeah, I should actually watch that. I probably will this week. Yeah. Brandon DeWild is good. We mentioned him a little bit earlier, but you know, for being a child actor and for yeah. being a character that is pretty soft-spoken and doesn't do a lot, he does a really good job. Oh, yeah, that's another thing to mention about Ethel Waters. Like, that scene when she's, like, it, it's during that whole thing when her brother comes back from having run over that man and she gets him to go away. And then Brandon DeWald is there. And he's like, oh, I feel sick. And she's like, oh, no, like, you're not sick. Like, go, just go home. Whoops. And then later, <laughs> he dies. <laughs> He dies off screen of sick. Yeah, and like you can tell in that scene that she, uh, like the guilt that she feels. Even if maybe she wouldn't have been able to do anything else, but maybe she could have given him that comfort of being with him and the guilt that she feels over that. And like the last scene is so good. Yeah, when she's just like, and and also reminded me of Mary Poppins, of like the ending of Mary Poppins. And- yeah, in a in a weird sort of way. Yeah, when she's like, oh, oh, you won't remember me. Like, you won't visit me or anything. And then she's just, like, smiling. But it's, like, a very sad smile. And, and she's singing, too, right? Like, the movie, yeah, the movie on her ends yeah. with her. And the the, play, the credits play over her. Like, she yeah. is the lead of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> or should have been. Yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, you you could call her a co-lead. She's top build, for one. She's build over Julie Harris. Um. Yeah, you could absolutely call her a lead of this movie, and and rightly so. Um, R.I.P. John Henry. Uh, Brandon. Yeah, and then that's the thing that kind of bothered me the most about Julie Harris is that when she comes back, like after in the epilogue, when she's like moving out, and she's like a completely different person. 
Yeah, she's wearing a dress now. She still has the the short. Okay, speaking of the short hair, um, and also just Julie Harris looking like Julie Harris. I kept thinking of like a 1980s Jamie Lee Curtis looking at her. Yeah. She looks so much like Jamie Lee Curtis with this short hair and like sort of like long face. Very strange. <laughs> very very strange being like this kid that isn't a kid is Jamie Lee Curtis uh, and isn't but is. Um Yeah, and now she's friends with the main girls. Yeah, and she's she's and like there's that scene at the beginning when Ethel Waters is telling him like, oh, you should just go and get yourself a boyfriend, and it's like a, a neighbor, and she's like, oh no, like I'll never go out with him, like I, like he disgusts me or something, and now she's like going yeah. out. With him. Oh, that was another bit from Brandon DeWild that I thought was funny, where, um, uh, Bernice, right? That's Ethel Waters' yeah, character's name. Bernice. It is telling Frankie to be like, oh, go hang out with that girl and. This may even be that same scene, and she's like, oh, that girl, she goes around with that boy, and they hang out all the time, and they're, I don't know what they're doing when they're off, and Brandon DeWell just goes, I saw what they were doing one time. <laughs> he's, he's a very good, like, different kind of bratty kid, like the bratty kid that's like, I'm not gonna cause a scene, but I'm gonna be real annoying about it. And yeah, it, and like, there's that scene when they're playing cards, and like they can't find the jacks and the queens, and it's because he took them and cu- he, like, cut them up. He, he cut them just up because he wanted but, the pictures. Yeah, they're like, "Hey, why'd you cut up all the jacks and queens?" And he goes, "I thought they were cute." It's like, yeah, <laughs> he's one of the, he's like a kid that doesn't know any better and truly doesn't know any better. But you know, he's a cute kid. Come on. Yeah, but and he then like he ends up dying. Because there's like the scene. He knows like, what he doesn't that, know. Yeah. They look at him and he's like sinking in the chair to go in Yeah. Yeah, he's a little stinker, but he's he's a he's a cute kid. So you can't be too mad at him. And then he dies, so like you really can't be mad at him because he's a dead kid. Uh weird turn there. What else about this movie? <laughs> um Oh yeah, something else that reminded me that made me think that it was kind of queer was that scene when Jolie Harris is talking about to Ethel Waters and she's saying like how she went out in the city and it's like a very vague scene they don't really say it maybe the book or the play were more clear but she's saying like oh how she was going out and she was like looking and then she saw two boys and then that's it yeah (laughs) and then that's when Ethel Waters started talking about her husband in and, a very good scene, yeah. Yeah, and then that's the whole thing of, like, that I don't know if I got, like, the whole, like, the thing that brings the pl- the name to the movie and the play and the book. Like, right. being the member, and, like, her being infatuated with a wedding, <laughs> and like, I don't... It's a weird sort of, like, <laughs> w- w- is this queer longing? Because she, like, she doesn't, like, the the one time that she does interact with this couple like in the very opening scene in the, out in the garden, she's not really all that interested in her sister-in-law or her future sister-in-law. Like, all of her infatuation is just on her brother in a way that's like, this, you know, probably reads differently nowadays, but you have this tomboyish character who all of her family are men, her dad and her brother and her cousin. Her mom's dead but died when she was a kid and she doesn't remember her yeah i think she Um, died at childbirth yeah and like there are plausibly like potential like gender or like like trans ish readings of this character of her you know being so anti-femininity giving away her doll cutting off her hair all this yeah, stuff. and how like, she was saying at the beginning, like, oh, like I never thought that I would believe in romance or something like that. Yeah, and and, and, and I don't know how brother. much. Of, yeah, yeah, I don't know how much of that is, you know, intended to be in there, or if it's just sort of like general queer subtext that sort of you can graft a bunch of different uh, perspectives onto. But that was something that I picked up on uh, that 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 sort of played into of the like. Is that where this is that why she wants why she feels like she doesn't fit in? Is that where her infatuation with her brother and her brother's success in life and his happiness is it something like that? Like she wishes she could be like him. Who knows? The movie doesn't really get all that much into it. I wonder if that's more present in the book and play 
because yeah, that's why there's more nuance it. there. Yeah. Maybe I would have done that if we had more time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that I have written down, and I think I just read this on IMDb, and there's, it would be wild if this was true, and it's IMDb, so it might not be. Um, this was apparently supposedly Fred Zinnemann's favorite movie that he ever made. What? Let me actually go back to IMDb to double check on that, uh, because that can't be right. That can't be true. Fred Zinnemann, you made High Noon this same year. High Noon is a good movie. Did you forget? A did you forget movie. it? Yeah, you made From Here to a Turn. Did you forget about these movies, sir? Let's see. Let me. Where? where... This was director Fred Zinnemann's personal favorite movie. That can't be right. <laughs> So, no, he he, he just had either. Maybe th- he just had a really fun time making it. Who knows? Uh, here, God. Okay, yeah. What what does this say? Okay, uh, the member of the wedding is the director's personal favorite film of his. Uh, his favorite individual scene is Sir Thomas More's goodbye to his wife and daughter and a man for all seasons. That's that can't. That's wrong. Sorry, sorry. No, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong, Fred Zinnemann. This is what? What? No! It's this so can't bizarre. be your favorite. You made good movies. You made some very good movies. And this well, is not one of them. I know that this movie has at least one very big fan. Someone who's been a guest here before on that. several fan times. On that. Um, this person gave it four and a half stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> And it is uh, Eliza. Oh, hey, good for you. No idea why, but maybe hey. she'll be able to expand on that when she listens, if she listens to this. Hope, hopefully, oh, here, uh, yeah. Um, no, I'm still stuck on Fred Zinnemann. Uh, crazy that this th- that no, I'm actually accidentally doing back to back Fred Zinnemann on this show. Uh, with next week and that's not an exact spoiler because there's still two other fred zinnemans i have to do so it could be one of two who knows um let me see uh, i can just say what the two are if people want to narrow it down without having to go look it up uh it's either the seventh cross or a hat full of rain so be on the lookout for one of those next week i actually almost picked one of those when you sent me the list yesterday. So then you know it's the other one, because it wouldn't have been yeah. on there. Um, Why did anyone pick that? Like, uh, well, I'll explain it off mic. Okay. Um, yeah, is there anything else you want to say about the rest of this movie uh, before we move on to the Oscars? Um, just Ethel Waters was the best. Yes. And she should have had, she should have been a movie star truly yeah uh fred zinnemann you're wild for this one (laughs) julie harris is wild (laughs) julie harris wild for this one yeah truly um yeah okay let's move on and talk about the oscars those nominated for the best performance by an actress are shirley booth comeback little sheba hal wallace paramount joan crawford sudden fear kaufman rko Betty Davis, the star, Fried Loeb, 20th Century Fox, Julie Harris, the member of the wedding, Kramer, Columbia, and Susan Hayward, with a song in my heart, 20th Century Fox. So, as far as precursors, this got exactly one mention previous to the Oscars, and that is that Brandon DeWilde won the Golden Globe Special Award for Juvenile Actor. Uh, so, good, good for, for you, him. Brandon DeWilde. He would go on to uh, an Oscar nomination the next year for Shane, which is cool. Uh, Wouldn't it be funny if they gave that juvenile over to Julie Julie Harris? Harris. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like they did that at some point before, right? Giving a juvenile award to someone fully just playing a child. Um, I don't know. But yeah, that's all there is in the lead up to this. Uh, And then Julie Harris gets an Oscar nomination for it. Uh, probably off the back of the success of the play uh, yeah. more than anything else of hey you're 
you're a Tony person. You're a Broadway person. Come on, welcome to the club. You're going to be a big star. And then, not really. Not This is her only uh, Oscar nomination. But they tried it. Glad she, had, glad she got one, at least. Yeah. And sure. like, not to spoil my feelings later, but this is not the best year, so I'm not mad that she's here. Yeah. Even though I am kind of, because someone else could have gotten that from this movie. Yes, true. Yeah. I wonder if they pushed her in supporting. Um... The thing is that I'm not sure exactly, but I think that Ethel Waters was considered like among people who predicted then a possibility of well, getting then, yeah. nominated in lead. And again, she was top billed, like you yeah. said. Which hasn't stopped anyone before because I think Thelma Ritter was top billed for one of her nominations. And she Probably for the support. mating season because she's, yeah, le- she's the lead of that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just one of those cases where like if you're not considered a, a leading star in Hollywood, no matter the like size of the role, they're still putting you in supporting. Uh, uh, but yeah, so this is, like I mentioned earlier, a best actress category year that I've talked about before, way back in like my 10th episode on this show. So it's been a while. Um, I still haven't seen With a Song in My Heart. And at this point... Uh, you're not missing much. Yeah, won't have a reason to for this show. Because uh, no more actress or supporting. Do I actually have any others even in this year that'll do? Doesn't look like it. Um, yeah, no, it's looks like it's just these two as far as 1952. So uh, let's run the gamut with our. Well, no, is the Big Sky uh, a lone nominee? That no, I think look that right. got no, like that got... a like a cinematography or something. It's something random like that. It got one other nominee. Yeah, cinematography, black and white. Okay. Um, yeah, so where do you come down on this Best Actress lineup? So I actually really love the winner. She's won probably like top 20 of I'd say like top 10, maybe. Oh, in general? Yeah. Yeah. So best I, Actress, like top five. I would say. Well, for Best Actress, I don't know because I really love a lot of... Like, I actually finished watching all of them earlier this year so nice. i think she's around like 15 16 something like that in my ranking yeah. but I still, either way like, that's really still love her. top of the top like that's still great yeah and she's like the daddy movie she's like oh what's wrong daddy yeah <laughs> her and jessica lang for blue sky like seeing yeah every five seconds <laughs> yeah very true uh so yeah i really love her and I also really love Joan Crawford in the Sun. Yeah. Like that's such a fun performance. That's it's such a cool nomination too for yeah. a movie like and that. Like you were saying before, there's big for a stage and there's big for a movie. That is movie big. Like that's that movie is- big from her, from Jack Palance, from yeah. uh, like- from Gloria Graham. Also, Jack Palance would go on to co-star with uh, this movie's Brandon DeWild and Shane. So yeah, yeah. and got nominated next year. Yeah. Good for both of them. And this year, too. <laughs> yeah. He's... Uh, so, yeah, like, there's that scene where Joan Crawford is, like, listening to the tape, finding out about, like, what actually is going on. And it's, like, this moment she puts her hands on her face. On it's her so head, like, cool. This, it's so good. She, like, opens her eyes really big. <laughs> and then the scene when she he's, like, looking for her to kill her. And she's, like, hiding in a closet in the shadows. And you see the sweat on her head. God. It's, like, so good. I, that movie rules. Yeah, and I have a hard time picking between the two of them. I would have rewatched them both, but again, I didn't have time to do that. Yeah. So for now, I will just say that I agree with the actual winner. And then there's... A steep Betty. decline. There's Betty, who... The, like, there, she's fine. <laughs> there sure is Betty. I, from what I remember... Did not like that movie or that <laughs> performance. I don't remember. I don't remember that performance or movie very much. Like the only thing about it I remember is that scene where she's like drinking while driving with her Oscar. In the exactly. Car. Yeah. Um, I remember. Like, there's parts to that that I remember. There's like parts because like so much of what that movie is is like a hey fuck you Joan Crawford specifically. 
Um, and there's scenes the that... only time they were nominated together. Yeah, but there's there's bits where like it feels like she's going too over the top of like, hey, look at me, I'm Joan Crawford, I can't act, I'm crazy, <laughs> uh, and and I'm I'm self obsessed and and i think everyone likes me and they're all mean to me behind my back uh and it's just a weird movie and it doesn't feel like it's certainly not among betty's best work is what i will say about that one again having not seen it in like two years um yeah i i kind of really did not like that one um it's fun it's a fun weird campy movie but i don't think it's very good i don't think the performance is very good uh, at least as far as I remember. Yeah, and then there's like Susan Hayward, who is not bad, is not good. She's just fine. She's like, just that's, Susan Hayward. Yeah, that's the most forgettable of all of her nominations. I think she is playing drunk, but even that's not fun. No, because I don't remember if she's actually drunk. Because I think that's the one where she like loses her legs or something that like she can sounds run, right or that gets sounds... polio it's like something like that i don't <laughs> so, know something 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 but yeah with legs. it's not even like one of the her bad woman movies which are yeah. fun but she's just there like Thelma ritter was nominated for this too and she's better that i mean when is she not um uh, so yeah not a very memorable year but it has two great nominees Yes. Yeah, two greats, and then... Eh. What else would even be... Like, who else would have even been in the conversation here, aside from Ethel Waters? Like, I guess Debbie Reynolds, you could say, is the lead in Singing in the Rain, but, like, obviously that movie didn't do nearly as well as it could have. Yeah, I'm trying to look... Who's the lead in um, My Cousin Rachel? Oh, uh, that's Olivia de Havilland. That definitely oh. worked a thing. It's kind of strange that that didn't happen. Right? And kind of strange that Richard Burton got a supporting actor nomination when he's in 70 or 80% of that movie. Like, he is the lead. Again, bringing it back to what I was saying earlier, if you're not considered a leading actor in Hollywood, like at this point, Richard Burton wasn't. He was still yeah. like a, a, a newcomer. They put him in supporting because he wasn't a leading leading actor. And I don't remember if it was this year or if it was 56, because I get them mixed up, but there was uh, that guy that got nominated for Bus Stop. That's 56. Uh, okay, uh, yeah. Don Murray. I'll be yeah, doing that's that. another yeah. big fraud. I'll do that one eventually. I was reading some article somewhere recently that like 1956 had like three supporting actors that were that level of fraud because it's the immediate follow-up year after Jack Lemmon wins for Mr. Roberts, and Jack Lemmon was seen as like a, you know, leading Hollywood actor that went supporting and was able to win, and so then you have like, oh, well, we can just say that this is a supporting performance, and it might be easier to get an Oscar for it. Uh, uh, I don't remember where I was reading that, though. But it was some article I, I happened on for some reason recently. Um yeah, I'm looking at the nominees that year, and I don't remember one of them very well. I also don't remember Anthony Perkins that well yeah. in that movie, because that movie's not very memorable, really. <laughs> yeah, I still haven't seen that. There's a movie here called Carrie that was nominated for art direction. Not oh, the yeah, King I know thing, that Zita likes that a lot. Yeah. That's I a, think that... Yeah, Florence that's, Olivier, uh, Jennifer Jones. Jennifer Jones, that probably was somewhat close nomination yeah i could imagine yeah well actually let me look at the golden globes this year see who was in the conversation there um actress in a drama shirley booth wins joan crawford and then olivia de Havilland does show up there and then actress susan hayward wins for uh, actress comedy musical susan hayward for with a song in my heart and then katherine hepburn for pat and mike and ginger rogers for monkey business so not even thinking in the rain. <laughs> no, yeah, don't know anything about those. Oh, right, this is the Golden Globes where uh, uh, Katie Hirado wins for High Noon, which yeah. rules. That performance so is so good. She should have won the Oscar. It's a crime that she wasn't nominated. It's one of my favorite performances of the 1950s. She's incredible in it. 
And she's so pretty. Yeah, God. Yeah, if we're nominating an actress from a Fred Zinnemann movie this year, there are <laughs> three other contenders above Julie Harris. There's Ethel Waters here, and there's Katie Harado, and uh, Grace Kelly is in High Noon. Yeah. 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 Uh, any of that. I didn't even remember if it was Grace Kelly or not, and I remembered that's a better performance than what Julie Harris is doing here. Crazy that that's the one of those those four possibilities what a what a strange nomination this one what a what an odd odd little performance i feel like like yeah again that's like i whenever you get to that movie uh the moon is blue is that some no i don't think you have to do that i one. don't think so yeah i think it got a screenplay nomination or something our best story but that performance is so bizarre let like me that see. Woman, I think it's Maggie McNamara. Her name. She says every line the exact same way. Nom- like nominated for three Oscars, <laughs> "The Moon Is Blue," Best Actress, Best Editing, and Best Original Song. Do you have to do anyone else that year? In 1953. Um. Yeah. Let's see. I feel like there's um Hondo. Oh yeah, but I'm in the best actress. Oh, in no, best actress. Oh, Eva Gardner. I think no, Mogambo no, Mogambo because oh. Grace Kelly was also nominated for that. Yeah. So yeah, you don't have to do that. Yeah, I don't have to do best actress that year. Uh, yeah, that that performance is so weird, and like in a completely different way from Julie Harris. Because like Julie Harris is like up here the entire time, and Maggie McNamara is like down here. She's mm-hmm. just like monotone saying everything the same way and like yeah even any facial expressions 1950s best actress is a strange strange decade of category yeah, uh, there are few years where there is not one at least one questionable person yeah and sometimes you get it like this year where from the sound of it there's like maybe three yeah yeah um what else even about this year at the Oscars. I've still never seen The Greatest Show on Earth, so I can't speak to that. As okay, a I, that I can talk about. People say that that's like one of the worst nominations, one of the worst films of all time, and I completely disagree. I think that that movie isn't good, but it's like kind of like there are way worse winners. Like we just, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. Oh. But, Hot take alert. I am actually trying to remember what just won. Uh, everything everywhere. Oh, no, no, no. I was thinking of the one before. No, I can't remember the one before. Coda. Oh, God, right. Yeah. God, remember Coda. Oh. Yeah, like, I don't hate The Greatest Show on Earth, and especially because I'm not a fan of this year's nominees for Best Picture. Like, the only one I like is High Noon, and I wish that had one. But if it didn't, like, I don't mind that it was a greatest show on earth. Like, Sizzle with the Mill gets an Oscar. Yeah. I mean, the I real answer mean... is it sh- it should have been singing in the rain, is the is the true answer. But yeah. Wasn't nominated. One of their, one of the biggest, like, maybe even the biggest egg on the face of the Academy, like, mistakes in 95 years of their existing is singing in the rain, not getting nominated for basically anything. At least Jing Hagen got in. Yeah, at least she did. Like, I'm... It's that and one other nomination. I'm so close to being able to do Singing on the Rain on this podcast, which is insane. I almost wish I could. any music. I almost wish I could. Wait, well, all I the, think no, it did get a music something. I don't know. Yeah, that's the, the other nomination for it is... Let me find it here. Uh, like adapted score or something. The supporting actress and scoring of a musical, mm. uh, which it loses to with a song in my heart. So, God, insane. Yeah. Insane. But yeah, like I almost wish it didn't get that nomination just so I could talk about singing in the fucking rain on this podcast because one that that performance is great and two, it's just like the best movie, kind of like. Like it's it's is is one of the best movies. Just full stop. I should watch that movie again. Sing another rules. Yeah, God, yeah. 
Donald O'Connor and everyone in that. Everyone in that movie is great. Uh, I really don't want to talk about the member of the wedding anymore. The thing is that there isn't really anything to talk about aside from nothing happens. the waters, and we just said everything that there was to say. It's a movie where nothing happens, and the one thing yeah. that does happen happens off screen. And we're just told about it after the fact. Like, hey, by the way, that boy died. Yeah, like, and we don't even see the funeral or anything. Like, we, we don't even see him sick. After. We don't even see him in bed. Like, they, we just see, like, other people in the house being like, hey, the boy's sick. Don't come in here. That's yeah. all we get. And then Frankie being more annoying, talking about herself. And we didn't even mention that she almost gets raped. Oh, God, right. <laughs> God, what a picture! Derogatory. <laughs> what a fucking movie! What a yeah, yeah. I don't have anything else to say about this movie at the Oscars because what else? Like, what other categories truly would you put this in? I mean, Again, I think that this is, would be a question for later. I do think that this deserved to be a. A lone acting nominee, but not for the person who got the nomination. Yes, yeah. Let's let's move into those. I mean, no surprise here, but yeah, for the formality of it, in your fantasy world, where you get to pick all of the up there. I've only said it like 120 times at this <laughs> point. In your fantasy world, where you get to pick all of the Oscar nominations, what nominations would you have given to the member of the wedding? I would give it exactly the same one it's got only for Ethel Waters instead exactly. of Julie Harris. And Ethel Waters will actually be my winner. Oh, yeah. She's great. Like, as much as I love Shirley Booth, yeah, this this should have been a win for Ethel Waters. This performance is incredible. Justice. Truly. Um, would have been the first woman, the first black woman nominated twice, would have been the first woman in lead if she actually got in there. And... Yeah. Yeah. And on top of all of that, would have been a worthy nomination for the performance itself, too. Like, truly, truly good, great, great stuff in this otherwise bad movie. Uh, but yeah, I think that'll do it for this episode in that case. Thank you so much for coming on again. Last minute. Uh, always happy to, to have you back. Yeah. And I'm happy that I got to talk about something not good this time. Yes. Yes, always uh, a a bad performance and a bad movie can lead to a good conversation because gets you fired up about it. Uh, yeah, and I think this might end up being our shortest episode so far. Yeah, we're like what, just about an hour fifteen or so, maybe yeah. not even that, like an hour, like an hour ten. Who knows after editing? But uh, we'll see. I've been doing a lot of shorter episodes lately for whatever reason. But uh, yeah, uh. uh why do you have to plug? Where can people find you if you have anything? Well, I don't really have anything. Just my Twitter. Just rsantana2024. And I haven't been tweeting a lot recently, but I am starting to do that more now. Especially right like since the awards thing. It's coming back. Chug, chug, chugging along. We're in uh, mid-November at this point. Uh, yeah. So yeah, things are, things are heating up. Uh, yeah, you can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening.